Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from the once imitated, never duplicated, Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And as of this recording, I am in pre-production on a short film segment for the uh, forthcoming anthology uh, science fiction horror feature film led by cult filmmaker Donald Farmer titled Amityville Aliens. And uh, I will be doing about a 20 minute short that's going to be part of that film. And um, my due date to turn that in is in December, so I would assume it's going to come out uh, the first half of 2024. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, after that comes out, I'm going to take that short film and expand it a little bit more and uh, put it out on my own, uh, my my segment of that, and then I'll be coming out shortly after that. And before that happens, though, I should have uh, She Knows Ferratu out and ready to go by the end of this year, beginning of next year. And uh, so you'll see that uh, it'll be a feature film by me and my crew. And uh, that should be out. It took a little while, but um, I've been doing a lot of stuff, including this short and a bunch of other things. So, you know, there's no need to rush it. It's not like food. It's not going to spoil or go bad. So we're going to put that out very soon. And, uh, you know, on Blu-ray, I just released a 15th anniversary edition of Sukibon Octopus Pot. So now I have seven Blu-rays that are out for sale. Um, Lady Hyde. Emmanuel and Sin City, the nudie cutie double feature of Mondo Visions and the Desires of Dawn, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, Volume 2, uh, Sukibon, Octopus Pot, and Mondo Sacramento. And also we have Lady Hyde and Mondo Sacramento 2 on Tubi. Uh, Lady Hyde's on Amazon Prime. And Lady Hyde, Emmanuel and Sin City, and Mondo Sacramento 2 are also streaming on various other stations. So we have about six or seven stations that are playing those now. So yeah, I feel pretty good. Got a lot of stuff out there for people to enjoy. Uh, Streaming, Blu-ray, and of course this podcast. So yeah, Uh, of course after this uh, first half of the podcast, hang out and listen to the commercial that I recorded. But I'm going to be probably updating it soon because I've been putting out more Blu-rays. So yeah, now we have seven Blu-rays to buy. So uh, once again, if you want to buy any of those, um, we have a storefront that ships to, uh, directly from the manufacturer, or I can also ship them to you from the copies that I have and get those out to you right away. So please support Independent Film, and if you're interested, get a hold of me at Desperate Visions, D-E-S-P-E-R-A-T-E-V-I-S-I-O-N-S at yahoo.com, or find us on the... Um, Instagram, the Franco Observer page, or on Facebook under Franco Observer page, or uh, Jason Rudy, Desperate Visions Productions. So, all right, there's all that out of the way. So, and now we are up to getting close to the end of this podcast here. We're up to episode 149, film 165, Lust for Frankenstein, but the copy I have is the Spanish DVD, which is titled Lady Frankenstein. So... Here is the first part of it, the um, 
history and uh, information on it, taken a course from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. All right, Lust for Frankenstein, USA Video, DVD title. USA Production, 1998, alternative titles, Lady Frankenstein, Spanish DVD title. The German DVD is Lust für Frankenstein, and the shooting title is The Envoy, El Innovato. Production company on this, unfortunately, is One Shot Productions. When I see One Shot Productions, I always have a little bit of a... <laughs> not Krusty the Clown. I mean, like uh, Sideshow Bob. Um, also, it's uh, Draculina Sin from USA. The DVD distributor on the USA side is Shock Orama Cinema. Uh, but of course, I have the Spanish DVD, which is a different company, Velavision. Uh, and it's actually a longer cut, too, that I watched. But we'll get to that on my portion after the break. Uh, timeline shooting date on this they shot this in 1998. Uh, Shaco Rama copyright date was 2000. And the U.S. video release was May 29th, 2001. Running time, well, like I said, the Spanish Velovision DVD is 87 minutes, 13 seconds. And the USA DVD is shorter at 79 minutes, 25 seconds. So about eight minutes shorter. Probably would have helped. <laughs> All right. Director, you know, who? Jess Franco. Writer, Jess Franco. Producers, Jess Franco. Kevin Collins. Hugh Gallagher. Uh, Peter J. Ivanko for One Shot Productions in association with Draculina Scene. Director of Photography, Raquel Cab- Cabra, actually Jess Franco. Uh, let's see, music, ugh. composer and scoring, Jess Franco, and Mikhail Segues, the superfuge. Okay, here's the thing I'll, I'll get into later when I do my thing, but there's like some fake cramps songs on here which really got under my skin including one called the Ubangi Stomp, performed by the Ubangis, and I Want Your Blood Tonight by the Ubangis. That's like the really fake cramps band. Uh, if you like the cramps, you'll definitely hear the influence on that. Additional music, Purr, P-U-R-R, courtesy of Sutterfuge Records. Editor and digital effects supervisor, Juan Jose Villar. Santiago Amquest with the collaboration of Centro de Tecnological de la Imagen. Wow, that's a lot of names for really bad uh, digital effects. But, of course, this is 98, but still, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, Let's see here. Production manager, Pablo Ross Cardona. First assistant director, Pedro Timbori. Camera assistant, Kike Canalina. Let's see, I'll skip some of the other ones. He's got electrician, he's got best boy credit, special effects. Makeup, direct sound, lab, tech supervisors, negative, digital process, acknowledgements. Craig Ledbetter, rest in peace. Uh, Michael Coughlin, Don Hundley, Tim Greaves, Michael Shutter. Um, additional credits for the American version. Editor, Kevin Collins. Narration, Sol Klink. English narration, Kevin Collins. Hmm, interesting, the English version. Maybe I should watch that. Um, Death of a Surfer, composed and performed by the Ubangis. Ugh. Uh, additional credits provided by one shot uh, website editor Rosa Amaral, aka Leah Rome. All right, cast uh, Michelle Bauer. She plays Goddess, aka the creature. Uh, Leah Rome plays Moriah Frankenstein. The awesome Analia Evarez plays Abigail. 
Carlos Galan as Carlos Sutterfuge plays Frankenstein's ghost. Oh, yikes. Yeah, Frankenstein's ghost is funny. He's almost like a mix between um, Rob Zombie and uh, uh, Gigi Allen. <laughs> wow, that's the guy. Okay. Um, Robert King as Cyrus. Amber Newman as the stripper. Alex Cox as Mario the gardener. Raquel Cabra as Rachel Shepard plays Mariah in Dreams. Uh, Pedro Timbori plays Peter as Peter Timbori plays Carlitos and Bill Melater plays Woodchopper. All right, synopsis. Thankfully, it's pretty short. Whenever Mariah Frankenstein listens to her favorite Ubengi's album, she has visions of her dead father, the famous Dr. Frankenstein, entreating her to revive his experiments, specifically a beautiful female monster named Goddess. Mariah goes back to the family mansion where her stepmother Abigail openly has sex in front of her with the gardener. Mariah succeeds in reviving the female monster, but it immediately becomes intensely aroused and craves sex from Mariah. But when the creature realizes that Mariah has affairs with other women, it becomes violently jealous. Meanwhile, we discover that Mariah was the victim of sexual abuse from her father and Abigail, who used to force her with incestuous threesomes with them. Wow, it's interesting. I didn't catch all that. All right, the review by Stephen Thrower. Uh, the third creation for One Shot Productions is a frustrating near miss. There's a genuinely strange and sexy film here, but it's being throttled by terrible sound, indecipherable dialogue, stilted or just terrible acting, ill-fitting music, and an overabundance of post-production effects which render the image at best indistinct, at worst incomprehensible. Lust for Frankenstein was apparently lensed on super 16mm film, but with tender flesh, extensive post-production gives everything a messy, smudgy video appearance. Beneath these surface disfigurements are some interesting ideas and performances, but when all the deficiencies strike at once, it's heavy going. Yeah, that's about what I'd feel. Uh, Lust for Frankenstein has a great central concept. Frankenstein's daughter, Mariah, creates a female monster, who turns out to be a lesbian nymphomaniac obsessed with betting her creator. Mariah, who was abused during childhood by her father, falls in love with her buxom monster, which leaves the way open for a sexy, sapphic, and sentimental variant on the Frankenstein mythology, as well as a respite from the rather shop-worn notion of lesbian vampires. The film gets another shot in the arm thanks to a committed and genuine performance by Michelle Bauer as the monster. Statuesque, shapely, and imposing in her six-inch heeled gold boots, she gives lust for Frankenstein an emotional core, indeed a reason for being. With facial expressions conveying suppressed lust, passion, rage, and seething jealousy, she sells the central concept despite a blizzard of bad creative decisions surrounding her. Her scenes with Lena Romay, who also knows how to deliver a focused performance under trying conditions, offers a ray of light by which the viewer can navigate. The standout scene is the one in which Mariah finds the nude and sexually frustrated monster hugging a tree in the garden, rubbing her clitoris against it while watching a gardener strip to the waist chopping wood nearby. The monster begs Mariah to masturbate her, and Mariah duly does so as the man chops heedlessly away. The ambience of sexual heat, derangement, and frustration is beautifully caught by Bauer. Yes, the gardener is welding his modestly sized axe in a style more suited to a big old log splitter, which makes him look ridiculous rather than potently masculine. But that's Franco for you. The fact that Bauer could retain her professionalism and dignity while walking nude through a film 
of Dime Store special effects and half-assed supporting players is a testimony to her focus and determination. On the subject of special effects, you may have noticed in this film or in this book that I rarely task Franco to task that I rarely take Franco to task for unconvincing illusions. Indeed, I've argued that sometimes they are part of the mad charm of his work here. Here, though, the operation scars on Michelle Bauer's monster are actually just elastic bands with fake stitches stuck on. The tightness against the skin is meant to sell the illusion, but once, but one is irresistibly reminded of Andy Milligan's bizarrely atrocious riff on the Frankenstein story Monstrosity, 1987. Best to concentrate on Bauer's face, where the real work is being done to bolster Franco's fragile illusions. It's just a pity that the same cannot be said for the actress's voice, which is compromised, through no fault of her own, by the addition of audio effects used in dozens of primarily witless films to suggest the otherworldly. The effect, called a harmonizer, electronically doubles any input and shifts it up or down in pitch in sync with the original signal. Used on the human voice, it swiftly becomes everybody's favorite push-button shortcut for intimations of demonic possessions in the horror film of the 1980s. It was also routinely used to deepen the voices of monsters to make them sound more threatening. Like most technical quit fixes, though, it's unconvincing not to mention cliched as hell. The device was incredibly old hat by the time of Lust for Frankenstein, so it doesn't even have the dubious merits of novelty. Instead of deepening Bauer's voice and making her more imposing, it makes her sound like a bad Doctor Who monster circa 1985. As for the film's barrage of post-production optical effects, their sheer indiscriminate ugliness leads the sympathetic viewers into a quandary. What did Franco see in them? What could he have motivated this headlong dive into the post-production paint box? It's a particularly difficult pill to swallow, given his prior disdain for opticals. He was unhappy, for instance, with the post-production fix on FX on Venus and Furs, which at least had the virtue of a highly professional opticals house at the helm. Here he seems gung-ho to click every available button in the video effects toolbar. Hey, hey, that's very true. Uh, the excesses of Venus and Furs look positively Bressonian by comparison. Lust for Frankenstein, like Vampire Blues and Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, is among the more heavily processed in the one-shot films. Others, like Red Silk, Blind Target, and Broken Dolls, either downplay or abandon this approach. The only film in which these electronic treatments have some conceptual validity is Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell. Sadly, in Lust for Frankenstein, no conceptual or aesthetic principle guides Franco's hand. He is simply attempting to jazz up the footage. While some may hail his approach as experimental, for me it is an experiment that, I've ought to, that ought to have been terminated right here. Instead, it was repeated on five or six more films, which casts an unwelcoming, unwelcome digital fuge over the next few years of Franco's work. Had it been made in the early 1970s, when Franco's creativity was at a white heat, Lust for Frankenstein could have joined Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein, and the erotic rights of Frankenstein at the forefront of horror erotica. Instead, with its garishly unpleasant video effects and amateur supporting cast, it's a film that strays perilously close to throwing away both its intriguing premise and the skills of its two leading ladies. Franco on screen. Franco dubs the voice of Dr. Frankenstein. It's a pity he didn't play the character on screen, too, because then we would have been spared the wacky performance of music entrepreneur Carlos Sutrefuge, a.k.a. Carlos Galan, who gives us the very who gives us the first and one 
sincerely hopes the last dreadlocked goth punk version of Mary Shelley's Faustian scientist. Cast and crew. Shell Bauer, speaking to Joe Vinicola of EvilDread.com, was effusive in her praise for Franco. She says, I really adored this man. I'd love to work for him again. He had some very different ideas about things. He had neat ideas, and he was off the beaten path. All I had to do was just go, you know what? I'm just respecting what you're doing here. He would change things as he went. I never really pinned him down, and I never saw the outcome of any of the films, but I liked working for him. All right, music. With the exception of some familiar Daniel White cues, Blasé Profond, for instance, most of the music is provided the... Here we go. Most of the music is provided by the Ubangis, a psychopunk trashabilly band formed in Washington, D.C. in 1990 by Brian Horowitz. Interviewed in Brutarian Magazine in 2001, Horowitz explained how they came to work on Franco's film. Steve and Nancy knew the guy that produces Franco's films, since Steve's... Wait. Steve and Nancy knew the guy that produces Franco's films now. Since Steve's cartoon cover for the Fran- for the Cramps LP, Bad Music for Bad People, there you go. He has done other covers and, more recently, promotional art for the film Tender Flesh and the Wari Cookie and the Killer Tarantula. So I gave Franco's producer the Ubangi CD simply because Nancy was on the cover and he was friends with him. Then we got a call a couple weeks later asking us to use tracks in Lust for Frankenstein, which we had just finished. Then a few months later, I get a call from him asking if we can write a few original songs for his new film, Vampire Blues. Ugh, that's what I have to look forward to. That's funny, they have a connection to the cramps because uh, that Steve guy, I guess, did the uh, cover for Bad Music for Bad People, which is a cool drawing. So, but, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like their friend did the drawing, but then they ended up just copying their music. Uh, connections. Another grating aspect is the trite self-referential of having Moriah Frankenstein wear a t-shirt emblazoned with artwork for Franco's 1967 film Necronomicon, a.k.a. Succubus. Later, we see film posters for Killer Barbies, Downtown Heat, La Chica's Tatanga, and the cover art for the CD compilation The Crazy World of Jess Franco on Moriah's bedroom wall. Uh, also, there's a... Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, while Franco's films have always been riddled with in-jokes and narrative references to his earlier work, this kind of flippant and let's face it, random, postmodernism only serves to diminish an already fragile fictional world. You can tell when an actor is not in the zone, and the same goes for a director. Here, instead of concentrating on world-building, Franco leans out of the frame, as it were, making facile gestures to his cult audience, which can only weaken the viability of the film at hand. Here, here. In a nod to the classic Jack Pierce makeup, Michelle Bauer sports a pair of gold-painted bolts glued to her neck, a la Boris Frankenstein. Uh, Boris Karloff. <laughs> Other versions. There are two cuts of the film. The European version running 87 minutes and the American cut running 79 minutes. Which I've seen the European cut. The later, the latter removes a lot of the dubbed over muttering from Jess Franco himself as Dr. Frankenstein. Although given that his voice is swapped with an audio effect that turns him into a grumbling electro porridge. It's really not much of a loss. <laughs> That's funny. So... All right, well, that's the uh, uh, information portion on uh, Lust for Frankenstein, a.k.a. Lady Frankenstein. Uh, hang out past the break, and uh, actually, no, let me hit a few more little plugs. Uh, let's see here. All right. Um, I have my thing in front of me here. Yeah, I do. 
All right. So told you about the Blu-rays already. Um, if you if you dug this show over the last what's it been now three years going on, if you feel to donate either one time or reoccurring uh, donation, you can at the Red Circle homepage for the Franco Observer Podcast. If you want to throw some money for the podcast or for the uh, upcoming production, uh, I can always use it. I don't sit there and set up um, GoFundMe's or anything like that, but you know, I can always use the donation. So if you feel like you want to donate, please feel free. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, Stitcher, which will be going out of business in August, and your other favorite radio platforms. We're on quite a few, so download us and subscribe today uh, if you want to leave a rating or a review for the podcast positive of course i would appreciate it uh, of course it brings more anytime you give a positive rating or leave a review it draws more eyes to the podcast and more listeners and that's always a good thing it's never a bad thing uh, if you like the show if you like desperate visions productions this is the thing that really helps me is share my information Tell people about Lady High. Tell people about Mondo Sacramento, Emmanuel and Sin City. Tell them about Desperate Visions Productions. Tell them about the Frank Observer Podcast. If you like it, don't keep it to yourself. Let everybody else have it. It's feel free. It's free to share, so free for everyone. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, like I said before, you can. Uh, any emails or questions or um, or once for ordering movies, you can at francoobserver at yahoo.com. Oh, also, um, you will now be able to get the Desperate Visions Blu-rays also at Grindhouse Video Online and on in-store in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, Grindhouse Video, they're a great online cult film retailer. I've ordered and bought many titles from them over the years, and... Uh, they're one of the businesses that had faith in me and uh, ordered a bunch of my films. So please feel free to order from Grindhouse Video, Desperate Visions Films, and tell them Jason Rudy sent you. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have pages for those as well. And, of course, we have the seven Blu-rays available. And uh, She Knows Feratu is coming soon. And Amityville Aliens is in pre-production. So... All right, busy times for desperate visions, but that's good. So, you know, as they say, uh, idle time is the devil's playground, so don't have idle time here. We've got a lot of creativity pumping and moving, so got to keep those creative juices flowing. It's one thing when, uh, like myself, coming up on 150 days here clean and sober. Uh, so, yeah, I've been getting a lot of stuff done in that time. So I can show you that uh, if you break those bad habits... You can get a lot of stuff done in that time that I've been clean and sober. I've put out seven Blu-rays, started work on another film, and finishing up another film, and, of course, doing the weekly podcast. But So, yeah, you can do it. I can do it. We can all do it. So if you ever need uh, help or if you ever need someone to talk to about uh, drugs or alcohol, getting off things, uh, always feel free to get a hold of me. I'll tell you what I did and how I can help you. So that's all I'm going to say on that. So. All right, hang out past the break and listen to the inter or the review portion for Lust for Frankenstein, and you'll hear what I had to say. This is a solo review because I didn't want to uh, make anybody else watch this. <laughs> so, all right, hang out, and we'll talk soon. Buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches. Ah, buenas noches. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, this is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel in Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel in Sin City is on the Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels. And Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Volume 1 interview by Cameron Cloutier of yours truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions Volume 1, we have the films Room 412 from 2007, The Last Road to Hell from 2008, Chump Change from 2010, and The Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 2, we have titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions. We have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone La Femme de Monde from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff. Also, we have a Late Night Nudie Cutie Cinema double feature featuring two films, two Nudie Cutie films from yours truly, uh, titled The Desires of Dawn, and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes, unrated. And Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p, high-definition widescreen, and all discs are AV AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu-rays. Uh, the Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS, uh, on uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions uh, had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah. Brand new film, so check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from 2022. 
It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p, full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo, and that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a lady hide behind the scenes photo gallery. And uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region free, by the way, so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region free. And finally, the last two discs we have are Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... Actually, no, it's the um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondal G, who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have... Uh, and then, of course, with myself as well. So we have writer, director, and... Uh, actor commentary on that and then we have uh, a never before seen behind the scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool nobody's ever seen that before so that's a special feature on that and a behind the scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012 and uh, yeah so that's available all six releases, which is 13 films total, are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each, plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, if you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. That's DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, and if you want to purchase all six in one swoop i will give you a discount and uh pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling so yeah please support fellow independent cinema and this is a one-man operation so i sincerely appreciate your support so yeah once again emmanuel in sin city lady hyde mondo sacramento the late night nudie cutie cinema double feature and the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, 
disc, region free, with lots of special features. So, so pick them up today. Desperate Visions at yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. All right, welcome back to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, with Mighty Desperate Visions Productions. And I have just finished watching Lust for Frankenstein, although the copy I watched was the European cut, which is about uh, eight minutes longer, unfortunately. And it's titled Lady Frankenstein. So, yeah, um, it's the Velavision Spanish cut. The other one runs 79 minutes through uh, Shakarama, and uh, this is the 87 minutes, 13 second version. Well, let's see, how can I start this? Um, I have a letterboxed account under the Franco Observer Podcast. Go ahead and add it, and you'll see uh, my ratings before the episodes come out. Um this is part of the one-shot productions era of Jess Franco's career. And let's see, I started this podcast back around Halloween of October, well, of course October, uh, 2020. And, uh, you know, this should probably wrap up around October of 2023, so we're getting close here, um, like three four months away. And I remember when I first started, people were like... Uh, Hey, have you seen the, the the video era yet of Jess Franco? The one-shot productions? Man, those are really hard to get through. And I was like, well, you know, I'm starting off. I'm doing the Christopher Lee. The, our first episode was Christopher Lee Dracula. Because I figured uh, start off with a Dracula. You know, everybody likes Dracula, Christopher Lee. It's a good opening episode. And then as time went on, I, I kind of jumped around to the early stuff I liked. And then I decided to go ahead and go in order. So I went all the way back to number one, uh... Tinimus Annals 18, We Are 18, first film Franco did on his own feature, and went forward from there, trying to do everything in order, because I like order and everything like that, make it where you can follow in order the films, and also when you follow in order, you can kind of see the progress and certain people he worked with at that time and how it changes and central themes and the first time this was introduced or first time this or that was going through and stuff, but... So, yeah, and I figured, you know, time we get to here, that uh, you get to the stuff. And in my account, I'd put, like, these last few shows that I've done for the podcast and these movies have kind of been a chore to get through. I used to really, really enjoy looking for forward to watching a Jess Franco movie and, you know, watching Shining Sex for the first time or even Cocktail Special or Justine or Eugenie or, you know... Lord of the Exorcist, something like that. But now these, I'm just like, oh, i got to watch another one. It's getting close to the end. These are really bad video films. Even though this is shot, I guess, on Super 16mm, it still looks like video camera, but I'll, I'll take their word for it that it's 16mm. But with all the video after effects he's using and the editing equipment, it's just it's really bad. It's like, and you know, I'm a low-budget, no-budget micro-filmmaker, micro-budget filmmaker myself. And, you know, I, I understand that and stuff, but 
and I'm also kind of a snob when it comes to film. And, and you know, I'll watch things I make, but I don't sit there and watch my movies all the time over and over again. And I also have a hard time watching low-budget, no-budget films, you know, even though I should be more open to it. And I am trying to be, but, man, it's just with just Franco. It's like I wrote that this is almost like a relationship where you first start and everything's really great and the little things you kind of overlook and you, and you make excuses for certain things that other people find funny or, you know, this is this is how it is and, oh, this is great stuff. But then it's like toward the end of the relationship, things just start not working out anymore and you kind of find one reason to leave and, and just things aren't... The things that used to find cute and charming are now just ugly and overbearing and, and strong and that's kind of how I'm feeling watching these films. I'm just like... And, you know, I'm going to be a good soldier and go all the way through my catalog to the very end because I've come this far already. I'm not going to quit with less than, you know, around a dozen titles left. But, man, these these are just a slog to get through. And and with this film, Lust for Frankenstein, Lady Frankenstein, there there are some decent pieces. Like, you could see where if things were changed, he could be, it, it could be decent. And, and you could see a, a flicker of flame dating back to some of his older stuff, but with this it's just so bad with certain things I mean here he's getting in the use of just like taking a band like with Killer Barbies and just using like three or four of their songs and just wallpapering the whole movie with it just back to back to back and that's one thing with me is like I'm a huge Cramps fan they're like probably my favorite band and there's this band the Ubangies and there's like a total fake Cramps rip off you could tell their music and the guy way the guy's trying to sing like Lux Interior and and their the rockabilly type sound it's just so bad. And and even the cramps, you know, they're not hundred percent original. They they take a lot of their songs and change them and do their own riff and stuff. But the cramps had their sound and and the cramps had their style and the cramps were really cool and, and they made an impact on a lot of things. But just this this band, the Ubangies, just sucks so bad to me and I just was so they did this song called the Ubangi Stomp and I want your blood tonight and they're just oh my god that's just one thing that just stuck a crawl on my fucking thing and it's funny because in this movie Lena plays Dr. Frankenstein's daughter and she listens to these You Bangies albums and that gets her back to remembering things from the past and it's just like totally shoehorning in the You Bangies album and just oh yeah so bad so um, we'll go through some of my notes here some of these later episodes now especially how bad the films are, and if I'm by myself, I'm not going to wax poetically about things I really liked about it, because when there's not a lot to like, the less said the better, you know? And I used to always subscribe to the notion that, you know, if you're not going to say anything nice, don't say anything at all, so I'm going to kind of keep my words shorter on this. Um, This is episode 149, film 165, Lust for Frankenstein. Uh, The 82-minute version is the Shakarama one. I watched the 87 minutes um it's a one-shot production of course which is always a, a, a first red flag right there it had really bad opening titles and the opening titles i watched is like a almost five minutes long of just opening credits so that's already a bad thing your credits should be like and if i'm not talking about a scene before the credits and the credits i mean just the credit sequence his credit sequence is five minutes it should be like at the longest two or three minutes maybe and that's even pushing it so yeah he's got a five minute opening credit sequence uh he's got really bad opening titles um fake gothic text and and it's just 
like faded looking and it's not sharp and just it looks like it's just laid over really bad and it sucks because like like i say if it's somebody that's not as talented as franco or you know even somebody like me who's just an amateur somewhat even though I'm professional in a lot of ways i mean i'm not just franco obviously so franco is like you see him doing these things and yeah he has no budget or he, i mean he does have a budget he's got some some money behind him but it just you know you're better than that, dude. You, you you shouldn't be doing this. You just I'm not saying quit, but I don't know. I I, just, I don't know what to say because I know it's better to do something than nothing. But if you're something's like this, maybe it is better to do nothing and just I guess I don't know. I don't know. But I know you want to keep putting out films instead of not putting out films. But I guess damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know. But uh, yeah, so we see our first nudity at uh, one minute eleven seconds in. It's during the opening credits. Where you see the often nude, uh, the creature, the Frankenstein's monster, uh, Michelle Bauer, who's actually pretty good in this. She's decent, and Lena's good. And, um, uh, what's her name again? I always forget. Um, Anade Evars, who's been carrying over for the last few films. They're like the three great ones in this, um, but everybody else is like really bad. Um, yeah, so uh, we have the naked creature rising in slow motion off of a glass table. So, yeah, so it's funny, too, like the creation scenes. Instead of it being like a Frankenstein's monster table and all the electricity and the gadgets, like a uh, Kenneth Strickfadden deal, uh, it's basically like a piece of plexiglass laying on like a like a table stand. Um, and there's a scene later on where I'll, I'll get to it, but you see it's like really, really cheap production. Um and, you know, like I said, trying to be a snob about that stuff because I dig the cheap production and special effects, and it's just a short thing anyway, too. But when they just pile up on top of each other, it, it really, especially for a feature, you know. So, um, Lena in here wears these funky, like, sunglasses, and in the credits, he uses this, like, uh, solarization effect where it's almost like a green screen on her glasses where he puts other footage over her glasses. And Lena, with her haircut and her glasses in this, reminded me of H.R. Geiger or H.R. Giger, uh, which I never thought I'd say that about Lena Romay, because Lena Romay is like a goddess, but in this, with her haircut and the way she dressed and those and those sunglasses, she definitely looked like Giger. So that's, I don't know, that's probably not a good thing, but yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, Lena looked like Giger with her sunglasses and hairstyle. Uh, almost five minutes of credits, I mentioned that, of course. Um, he uses um, an effect that he used way back when in Vampiros Lesbos, where uh, uh, Count um, Soldat Miranda's um, place, she uses this like glass, and he had blood dripping down the window pane, and he uses that effect here, where you see the gla uh, blood kind of running down a window pane, but he superimposes another footage in front or behind it to give like a layered effect, which is okay, but you could tell he's really referencing a lot of his older films in here including, uh, which if you listen to the first half of this, um, Stephen Thrower talked about how he references his older films. There's a, Lena wears a Vampiros Lesbo shirt. She wears a Succubus slash Necronomicon shirt in this. There's posters for Killer Barbies and uh, uh, Chicas de Tangas and like two or three other films in the film. So it's like, I don't know. To me, they're not Easter eggs. They're just... Franco trying to like give a little nod and, and it takes you out of the story because you see those things and it's not like say where because recently I watched Joe Dante's Piranha and The Howling where there's a lot of cool in jokes and 
like uh, in the howling there's a lot of stuff with wolf and, and wolves in the background like wolf brand and wolf chili and stuff like that where it's more of a a nod with the environment but in this it's Franco using uh, merchandise from his other, from his old films that kind of doesn't really add to it it takes it away so that's I think the difference um, so yeah he uses the blood dripping down effect that's from Vampiros Lesbos uh Lena and the Necronomicon Succubus T-shirt mentioned that. So, yeah, so much slow motion in this. Almost every scene from uh, sex scenes, pretty much every sex scene, uh, anything that shows nudity or any movement is just played in slow motion. And slow motion in film is one thing. Slow motion in video, or I guess 16 millimeters, he wants to say, is another thing entirely. Um, especially with cheesy music over it, it just doesn't work especially if you're just if you do it once or twice it's one thing but just to do it like 10 or 15 times it really just doesn't give you it really just pads your film so like in this it really took away from just everything was in slow motion it makes you want to like fast forward a little bit so you can see it in real time and uh it just it just pads out the film too much i think um it's got also really bad dubbing in this some of it it's natural sound and other things he had the actors redub their lines and uh, you can just tell the sound difference is quite a bit difference in this. Um, there's a scene where Lena walks in and uh, she meets her, I guess it's her stepmother that married her father. And her father's, it's so funny because a lot of this is, I, after I watched it, I read what Stephen Thor wrote and I kind of understood more because like the Frankenstein I thought was just a dream. Then I thought it was the monster, but then it was her father and then you realize that this woman who's younger than her is her stepmother, and you kind of doesn't really go into a lot of it. But when we first see her introduced, she's uh, giving a blowjob to a guy in a wicker chair, and it's more you see her head moving up and down from the angle of the waist, where you don't see her face or the or the blowjob technique. You just see her head disappearing in the guy's lap, and he, he does it way too long, so he's like trying to tantalize you by showing you something, but then it's blocked so you don't see anything. So it's like, why why linger on it for so long if you're not going to see anything? It just it, it takes away from the effect as well. Um, and he does a lot of solarization technique. He does a solarized threesome sex scene with the lame rock song I wrote. That's the Ubangi's one. Um, and then uh, later on when... Lena has sex with the gardener and then kills him so she can take his life force and put it into the creature. They do a, a they put him naked on the plexiglass table and then the naked Frankenstein woman on the other deal. And, and you can tell it's not even a table. It's just like a, a, a slice of plexiglass that's about maybe a foot across and about six feet uh, in length. So it's just enough for one person to lay on. Like they went to a like a uh, a store like a place that does uh, hardware or something, and I just had him cut like a slab of a plexiglass, just enough for one person. It's really cheap. It's pretty funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's another another plexiglass slab, light turning. Oh, yeah, so the part where they're supposed to be, she turns on the machines for the transfer of power. It's basically just somebody in the other room turning the lights on and off, which is pretty funny. I mean, it works, but it's it's just funny when you realize what it is. It's just light going on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. So, so you're just flickering the lights. Um, I mean, it gives the effect, but it's just, like, so cheap. Um, uh, let's see. 
It's turning on and off during the scene to give her life. Oh, yeah, okay. And then, uh, yeah, she kills the gardener. Okay, we have that. Uh, then there's a scene. There's a lot of sex scenes in this. Basically, Lena and the naked Frankenstein woman have a sex scene. Pretty elongated. Uh, wall-to-wall bad rock music. I wrote too much. Yeah, it just wallpapered all the way through the film. Not nothing exciting at all. So um, There's also a threesome scene with uh, Lena's stepmother and a guy that I guess is supposed to be her father and Lena. And it comes to find out that that's supposed to be her flashback, which is odd because I thought it was in real time because... They don't make Lena look younger at all. They just put her in a t-shirt. So I guess that's supposed to be her being younger. And her father and her stepmother molest her and kind of like rape her. But it looks like she's kind of... And you know it's happening because she's yelling in voiceover dubbed of her, no, no, no. But it's just like it's shot the same way all the other sex scenes are. So it's it, it kind of just, I don't know, and it's in slow motion and the person's wearing a mask. And it's just really odd. I don't know. I just... just it's kind of fucking stupid. Um... And then, yeah, it's supposed to be that dream sequence, and then she's wearing a Vampiros Lesbo shirt, which is dumb. Um, one thing I thought was funny, so there's a scene when the Frankenstein's monster is watching a man that's like a woodcutter cut up some wood with his shirt off, and she's like humping a palm tree, and she's like masturbating, rubbing her clitoris against this palm tree. And Lena pulls up and sees her, and then she says, will you masturbate me? So Lena masturbates her from behind, sticks her fi- licks her fingers first, and then sticks them up inside her. And uh, and masturbates her uh, while she's rubbing against the palm tree, which is pretty funny. Um, it's very odd. Let's see what else do we have. That's probably the one of the highlights of the film. Um, and then uh, later on, the monster breaks loose and tries to kill a woman. And Lena takes a whip and whips her. Uh, and the woman is her stepmother, and, and the uh, Lena whips the monster with her whip, which is a decent scene. Lena's naked with a bull whip cracking the shit out of uh, the Frankenstein's monster and then the uh, her stepmother runs away and accidentally hangs herself from the bullwhip on the stairs I know it sounds so stupid so but uh, yeah that's how that one played out which was pretty bizarre um let's see, I'm looking for something here real quick no okay uh yeah okay so where's that at huh I'll look for my Frank Observer checklist but I'll put it on hold and check that out in a second uh, what else do we got here? Um, oh yeah, let's talk about the Frank Cramp song in the strip club scene. There's a strip club scene where, let's see, this chick that's in the last couple films, uh, Amber Newman is dancing, and uh, they shoot it very, uh, very minusculely, where you just see these two kind of rails that she's dancing in front of, and kind of a DJ in front. You don't even see the whole club, you just see... It could be anywhere, really. It could be like a playground or something or the inside of some other business. But it's supposed to be a strip club, and she's uh, dancing in a G-string with a fake $20 bill sticking out, which I was laughing because they showed the money a little too close, and you could tell it's not a real bill. At least throw a tw- real 20 in there and use it for a thing take it back, but they had to do a, a, a photocopy of a fake 20. And uh, Lena comes in to the strip club to check her out, and then uh, she basically takes her home, has sex with her, and then kills her, and then to give uh, the energy to the monster. Um, but yeah, she's dancing to this fake cramp song called the You Bangy Stomp. Um, and also the song I Want Your Blood Tonight. Uh, Michelle Bauer is fr- and the Frankenstein monster is good. She has these really funny uh, Frankenstein shoes, though. You can tell she's got like these platform shoes and they're like spray painted gold and with big heels. 
And, uh, yeah, you also see a, a Killer Barbies poster inside of the house. So that's uh, about what I had spotted on all this thing. So, all right. So uh, let's see. Yeah, so that's kind of my uh, notes on this film. Uh, as you can tell by my voice, I'm not too excited to talk about this film. But, you know, it's my duty as my loyal listeners out there. I do appreciate you always listening to the podcast, being Franco fans as well. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you've seen all the Just Franco films, and you're just trying to complete your checklist, you know, check it out once. Um, I ended up getting this through Craig Ledbetter's site, the uh, Euro Trash Cinema site, which is now defunct. Um, there are out-of-print copies that sell on eBay, I believe, under the Shockarama label, the... Um, American one, and I'm not sure a Trash Palace might sell a copy of it. I'm not sure, but um, I don't know. If this comes out on Blu-ray or anything. I don't. I wouldn't rush out and buy it, even if it has a cool slip cover, nothing like that. But um, you know, I don't know. It's it's definitely. A, I don't know there's no such thing as rentals anymore. But uh, I mean, streaming wise, it doesn't really stream. But it'd be good if like Shockarama had a bunch of their old titles, like the Misty Mundane ones and that, and just had their own streaming channel. Uh, they may or may not, I'm not sure, but it would be smart to have something like that instead of spending the money to release a lot of these out on Blu-ray because I don't know what the market would be or the audience for it, but I'm sure there's people that would mind just watching streaming versions of these. So, you know, that would be my recommendation on that. Uh, okay, well, here's the Franco Observer Checklist. This is a checklist we started way back when where different eras of Franco films, there were certain prominent um, things that would show up over and over again, and as time went by, some faded away, some popped up more, especially during the uh, Erwin C. Dietrich period. We had the sheepskin rugs in every film, and the masturbation with the letter C item were in every film, and we had a lot of the um, you know zooming in and zooming out in the Dietrich era and stuff like that, where he was confined to studio sets and not doing the outdoor stuff but um yeah so i'm still keeping the um checklist for prosperity and to keep it going through but as time goes on we see less and less of these things in the franco universe but still here is the mighty tried and true franco observer checklist number one on the list of 30 body of water yes there's body of water in this you see the beach a few times there's a swimming pool in the film, and those are the two bodies of waters that I checked. Uh, number two, sailboat. Nope, no sailboats in this. Usually sailboats represent escape or dreams, and you don't see anything like that in this. So even though Alina has like nightmares and remembers things back, there's no dreams of things like that. Uh, number three, boats. No, we see the, the ocean, but no boats in the ocean. You see the car drive up where they dump the bodies off. When they kill the people, they have this like box that they haul the bodies out and throw them in the ocean, which is pretty funny, but uh, you don't see any sailboats in there. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yeah, there's actually quite a few palm trees in this. There's a couple scenes where he just shoots palm trees by themselves. It's almost a funny little nod, like, yeah, here's your palm trees, part of your list. Check it off. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. No, it doesn't really take place in the jungle, so there's no jungle sound effects, fake birds or fake jungle noises. Uh, number six, chained up person. No, nobody's physically chained up. Uh, the Frankenstein monster is kept in a glass case, but she's not chained up or anything like that. So, uh, Number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yeah, we have the um, 
what's her name? Amber Newman as the stripper in this. She, that's her credit as the stripper. So she has that one scene where she strips. Nothing spectacular, just her dancing a G-string topless, no weird stage act like Franco does. Franco always has a lot of cool, bizarre strip club sequences where he has a bizarre strip sequence where they do a, an odd act, which was one of his charms. But in this, it's just standard bumping and grinding, nothing special. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar, or people dancing together in a, or a bar sequence. No, not really. There's the strip club, but there's no people sitting in a bar drinking, talking, no groups of people dancing together, nothing like that. Number nine, jazz music. Well, we have the really bad Ubangi's uh, rock music, but there is like one or two jazz numbers that he throws in uh, about three quarters of the way through, which made me smile a little bit because it's the only decent music in the film. Uh, the Daniel White old ones is what they he used, from what I read. Uh, number ten, excessive zooms. Yeah, this is the one, the area where he's zooming in and out a lot. Zoom all the way in, zoom all the way out, zoom all the way in, zoom all the way out. So it does that quite a bit. Number eleven, out of focus shots. Yeah, there's like a couple that I caught. Not crazy, but there's at least two or three. Uh, number twelve, mirror shots. Yeah, he actually has a nice one um, in the reflection of a car window where Lena's sitting in the car talking on the phone. And you see the uh, trees on the reflection on the glass in front of her in the car, which is nice. That's kind of his style. And um, there's a couple other mirror shots in there that are minimal, but that's that's the best one. Uh, number, thir- number 13, mind control themes. Yeah, kind of. I mean, Lena's... I mean, the Frankenstein monster is under the mind control, of course, of Frankenstein. Um, Lena has her dreams that she's kind of remembering back and it's controlling what she's doing but she's not under a mind control machine or anything like that but it's still definitely her mind is controlled by something uh 14 magic tongue scenes yeah uh, not a lot but there's a scene where lena has sex with the the creature and so you see her like tongue in her nipples and stuff and she's using her tongue in in a fashion where the camera picks it up and shows it uh, four, 15, red light. Uh, no, no red lights. Plenty of blue lights, though. A lot of the stuff's lit in blue, but no red lights flashing. Uh, number 16, sheepskin rug. No, uh, masturbation with a letter C item. No cigarettes, no cigars, no canes, no cucumbers. Nothing starts with the letter C. Just fingers. Uh, cuticles. No, that don't, that don't count. Uh, 17, mad scientist and servant. Uh, yeah, you have, of course, Dr. Frankenstein, and then... Lena's the Frankenstein's daughter, and then of course a servant. She doesn't have a servant. There's the gardener and stuff, but there's the Frank math scientist and monster. So I'll, I'll give that half point. Number eighteen, fish tank shots. No fish tank shots in this. Nineteen, talking parrots. Unfortunately, no, no talking parrots. I wish they had uh, Uncle Jess talking as the bird. That would have improved this film immensely. Number twenty, in credits. Yes or no? Yeah, he has this really bad video in credits where. You see the left-hand corner of the screen has like a yellow border, and then it turns into like a tape measure borders up on the left side and the top of the frame. It must have been some weird video program uh, he was using to edit with or do titles with because it shows up in a few of these films, and it just looks so amateurish. It's, it's really, really bad. Uh, 21, handwritten notes or signs or anything cheesy like that. I didn't, I didn't catch anything like that. He actually used a couple good locations of like a, a chateau and... A nice little area. I think he might only had one or two houses he shot in, but they were nice, so there wasn't any cheesy handwritten signs. Twenty-two spiral staircase shot. Um, you have the uh, staircase rail 
where the lady gets killed off of and stuff, but you don't see anybody walking down a spiral staircase uh, shot, anything like that. Uh, 23 inept cops, no. 24 belly chains. Uh, no, that was a, kind of a brief period that you see a lot of belly chains, like in the late 70s. A lot of his films did, but it's really non-existent nowadays, or in these later films. Uh, 25 kinks. Well, let's see. You have, I guess, incest. You have, uh, which isn't really a kink, but whatever. Uh, whipping, S and M. Um, you have uh, uh, voyeurism, and you have, I guess, sex with the undead because Frankenstein's monster would be undead. So yeah, you have a ne- necrophilia, and uh, yeah, there's a few more. I'm sure I'm skipping on there. Uh, let's see, number we at? twenty-six. Great headboards. No, he has these. He has a thing where he likes to use two single beds pushed together, and we have these same two bamboo. Uh, beds, um, the the wicker headboard from uh, Mari Cookie and the Killer Tarantula, that bed that Lena and her husband use. You see that again in this film. So he uses that bed for that, uh, which might even be the same location now I think about it. Um, but yeah, there's no really cool, great headboards in this. Uh, number 27, Fear or Desire. I have Desire down because it's Desire, the monster to always have sex, and then the the desire, the, the sexual desire in the film runs all the way through. There's a lot of sex in here. The fear, really not that much. I mean, fear when the monster kills people, well, that's just normal. That doesn't really count, I don't think. So, yeah, I'd say desire is the overwhelming element of the two. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player. No, nobody plays an acoustic guitar scene in this, so no. 29, reading a book scene. No, nobody reads any books in this that I can remember. Um, they just watch people have sex, basically, and watch other people dance and stuff. Uh, tw- and finally, number 30, pee scene. No, nobody's going pee. Nobody talks about having to piss or there's no uh, peeing on anybody or peeing in anything. So that would be a, a negative. So there, number 30 was pee scene. So that's the top 30 Frank Observer checklist for this episode. Episode 149, film 165. Lust for Frankenstein, a.k.a. Lady Frankenstein. So, well, let's see. The next film, episode 150, which is a good-sized number, that is, uh, flip to the book here, is going to be Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, also known as the Inferno Virtual of Dr. Wong. Yeah, Virtual Hell of Dr. Wong. Spanish title, so... Uh, we'll see how bad or good that one is. And, uh, I don't know, we're getting close to the end, so, you know, gotta always make it to the end. Gotta finish that finish line. You ran the race this long, you don't want to take a side detour and sit down. You want to run all the way through, so. Um, once again, if you want to help me out, donate some money (laughs) to this podcast for my suffering, you can on the Red Circle homepage for the Franco Observer podcast. You'll see a little donation button there, either one time. If you want to throw a dollar in, five dollars, whatever you want to throw in, I'd appreciate it. You just be a one-time thing too; it doesn't have to be recurring. Just if you want to say, "Hey, man, I hear you suffering. Let me throw you some money," because you gave me like 150 episodes so far of like at 100 of shit, probably over 200 hours of free content. Let me throw you some money. You need it, so yeah. So that's what I gotta say on that. Um... All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches. Ah.